Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. Today's guest is probably very well known to uh, just about everybody in the trumpet community. Fred Powell has been a part of the trumpet industry, music industry really, for uh, quite a long time. And in the last uh, several years has developed a remarkable line of trumpets and flugelhorns. This interview was conducted in Elkhart, Indiana at Fred's shop. And there was a little bit of uh, construction going on that morning uh, that we did this and we actually spent about 20 minutes uh, in the dark conducting this interview and uh, you'll hear some things in the background hopefully you'll be uh, forgiving of those so enough of an introduction now and on with uh, my interview with Fred Powell so we're just going to jump right in so here I am with Fred Powell at his uh, shop up in Elkhart Indiana and uh Fred's dragging a little bit this morning. <laughs> <laughs> As usual right yeah. now until we get past ITG. Uh, it's yeah. all hands on deck right yeah, now. Yeah, you're gearing up for ITG. Well, we're just a, uh, like a month away, a month tomorrow. Mm, yeah, we're looking at it, though, as we only have about a little less than three weeks to prepare because uh, the week of July 4th, there's not a lot that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Let's face it. Yeah. Plus, that's my birthday, so I don't want to be working on the 4th. So. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> but it's an easy day to remember. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so we're we're uh, we're trying to have everything finished and uh, comfortably finished by uh, the end of June. Then, if we have any just last minute little things, we'll take care of those. But so you know, you've gone to NTC, you've gone to ITG before. You've you've actually come down to my conference at U- University of Indianapolis. Uh, what what's it take to gear up and prepare to take basically your entire inventory? or a good representation of your inventory someplace? Well, it's a little tougher for us the way we do things because, um, you know, we don't have a, uh, a waiting stock of horns like uh, a retail store would. We build horns to order mm-hmm. um, probably about 75 to 80%. So, um, you know, we're trying to accomplish both things at one time, which is getting ready for a show but also keeping customer orders going out the door at the same time. And that is what makes it a bit tricky. 
sometimes because um, for us to go to um, a show like ITG or NTC or even some of the smaller regional shows, you know, we want to take a fair representation. But for us to be able to take 14, 15 horns, you know, that represents um, about two months worth of, you know, orders. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, it's a bit of a balancing act to keep everybody happy. Yeah. While we're also trying to get ready to be Because some of those horns might show. be getting ready to go out to the customer. Right? Yeah, so we basically we we basically are trying to build double. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we look ahead to see you know what we're going to need, and we we do try to build some what we call spec horns mm-hmm. um, that are represented you know representative of what we do uh, across the line, so that we have a, a you know a span a range of models for people to try. So. Depending on what we have on order, what we might what we have on order might be you know sixty percent of one thing, but we can't go to a show with that. <laughs> we have to have you know a fair representation of the entire line. So it it's a bit of a it's a bit of a balancing act, like I mentioned. Well, you you managed to get not just uh, some good horns out to these shows, but uh, uh, you've already got a pretty good clientele. I mean, word gets out before you even get to the shows, and you, in fact, I just found out. Mark Ridenauer mm-hmm. uh, plays what B flat C both uh, C trumpets right now, and we're we're also we have a B flat in process for him as well now. I know Matt Anklin is one of your uh, one mm-hmm. of players. Yeah, Cincinnati's a real good area for us. Um, Chicago, and we have some other groups. Uh, Oklahoma City Symphony, uh, all four guys mm-hmm. uh, play our C trumpets, um, and uh, North Carolina Symphony. Uh, there's all four guys there as well, and. Mm-hmm. They play B flats and C's, and um, and we've even got a flugelhorn down there too. So we, I think, there's maybe a total of twelve or thirteen horns down mm-hmm. with North Carolina Symphony, and then um, uh, Gary Davis, principal of uh, Cleveland Pops, came on board with us uh, three or four months ago as well. Mm-hmm. So we've got uh, quite a bit of quite a bit of things going on in that. Do you way. try to seek out certain people maybe to to help? Uh, typically, I would say no. Um, one of the things that I've, I've kind of held to is that I don't, uh, I don't, especially if they're associated with another company, I've always, uh, maintained those friendships, but I, I don't go after other companies, people. You don't that's, try to proselytize, right? <laughs> no, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of one of my things is just, uh, it's just something that I feel more comfortable with and, and, uh. Um, so, but when they come to us, it's a completely different story. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're independent, I mean, Mark Ridenauer and I had been friends for um, a long time before that, mm-hmm. and I had some dealings with him before. Mm-hmm. But I happened to be at a concert at CSO uh, several years ago now, five or six years, I think, when the whole thing started. Mm-hmm. And um, we were just talking after the concert, and he said, "Hey, when are we gonna, you know, work on this project?" And I said, "What project?" <laughs> so that's when that started, and. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, the genesis of that mm-hmm. of that whole thing, which became the Gallery Custom Elite mm-hmm. models. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, word travels fast, and when you've got a great product, um, that makes it that much easier. I know, and especially when you've got people like with that kind of high high profile, that really helps get yeah. the word out there. And and I, you've been around a long time. How just how long you've been building horns? Well, that's an interesting question because uh, May uh, we're just you know just into June now, but May was my thirtieth anniversary. Uh, I started working for Roy Lawler in May of 1989, mm-hmm. right after I finished grad school, 
and um, yeah, he was in Florida at that time. It was time, in right? Florida, yeah, in uh, uh, Longwood. Mm -hmm. Started working for him in in Longwood, and uh, I was, um, yeah. So I, it's just I was thinking about that the other day. It was just uh, amazing <laughs> to think. I was like, wow, you know. Um, but yeah, thirty years was uh, May, and I started in repair a little bit before that. I'd been I'd worked on. Uh, I had done a repair apprenticeship of sorts, um, kind of old school mm -hmm. when I was in college. And um, just one thing led to another, and <clears throat> I ended up being able to, to um, I had two of Roy's horns. I had had him build me a B-flat and C when I was in grad school, and we just had been talking, but ended up starting with him in May of, of 1989, and um, kind of more on the repair end uh, before I kind of worked into some of the Trumpet stuff later. But um, worked for him for about six or seven years total, um, kind of in two different, two different segments, a first segment and then a second segment. But, uh, yeah. So what year so, would that take you to? Um, you mean when I finished with yeah. him? Yeah. Uh, around 1994. Oh, okay. 90, he, 95, 96, somewhere in there. He made a custom C trumpet for me uh, early 2000s. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. So that was after you. Would have that was after me. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was already. By two thousand, I was. Um, I was already at United Musical mm -hmm. by then, mm -hmm. by way of California, mm -hmm. L.A. and that, and then then moving here. Okay, so let's let's follow that lineage back. So let's you leave uh, Lawler shop. Where'd you go from there? Uh well, <clears throat> I actually started my own uh, little repair shop in uh, in Florida, and I was teaching adjunct at a couple of different schools and playing professionally still, mm -hmm. um, and uh, or based out of Orlando area, mm -hmm. stayed in Florida, mm -hmm. and in um, I had some association with uh, with Canstall, uh Zig Zig specifically because we um, we got some supplies from them mm -hmm. and. So after I was gone and just working in my own shop and teaching, I was you know, just doing the musicians, what I call the musicians, water bug life from place to place to place to place, <laughs> place doing what you can. That's a great visual. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and trying to not sink. Exactly. Exactly. So I was fortunate. Uh, you know, Florida was Florida was good good to me, and uh, still a lot of friends down there. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, actually, Zig called me. One day uh, at my shop, and just asked me if I had any interest. You know, started talking, and a few months later, I ended up uh, ended up out there. Didn't stay uh, um, a long time, but um, you know, the pathway was interesting because um, um, that's that was the pathway to where I ended up here at UMI. I'm not sure, looking back on things, and that might be a longer story than we have time for right now. <laughs> But looking back on that, I'm not sure that I would have ended up at UMI, um, you know, and the whole thing with Vintage One and all mm -hmm. that that happened. I, I'm not sure I would have gotten directly there from Florida. Mm -hmm. I had to go by way of um, of California, and, and some of those life decisions are uh, are out of our control and not made by us. Mm -hmm. But And sometimes you don't know at the time. You look back and you're like, oh, you know, and that's kind of the way it is. Mm -hmm. Ended up here at UMI. Uh, and then the, uh, um, you know, all the, again, all the vintage one stuff and, and it, it was really, you know, what was really nice about that too, is that I didn't just get to work on trumpets at UMI. I had some involvement in all the brass cause I was in charge of, uh, the brass instrument project management and product management for them. So I got to work with some great people on trombones and French horns and even some tuba stuff. Um, got to associate with a lot of, uh, 
you know, LA studio guys that were playing mm -hmm. those French horns and trombones uh, helped uh, develop, um, you know, new bass trombone, the, some stuff we did with John Fedchok. So it wasn't, it wasn't just trumpets, which was kind of, the variety was nice. Sure. Although my specialty was that, but um, learned a lot in that process and, and got to associate with uh, a lot of great people. How did that Vintage One uh, concept come around? Um, um, that was, uh, well, when I came to UMI, I think the, my charge was to get them back into the professional markets. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously it was a, a, a successful company and large company and making a lot of instruments. I think they were producing, uh, 43 to 44,000 instruments a year out of the Eastlake facility at that point. Wow. So not a small company. What brands? Uh, it wasn't that just was the UMI brand itself. Right, right? it was Con King, Binge, and, and as far as the brass instruments went, and then they had some other brands, uh, Armstrong, Artley, you know, mm -hmm. some other brands in woodwinds and mm -hmm. strings and accessories. I mean, it was a you know, it's a a pretty uh, pretty big company. Mm -hmm. And back then, the music industry had a big three, kind of like the car industry did, sure. which were you know, Selmer, UMI, and and uh, Yamaha, mm -hmm. in uh, up in Grand Rapids, which are all within two hours of here, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, but anyway, getting back to that, the charge was to get them back into the, uh, into the professional ranks. And so we started, um, the, the big question was what brand name would that be under? And, um, I always thought that, uh, obviously the binge, the binge name had, uh, you know, that has obvious history. Yeah. But there were some reasons, uh, some business reasons and some royalties and different things like that that caused them, I think, to start start thinking of uh, one of the other brand names, you know, mm -hmm. instead. So um, I actually found an old valve oil bottle, a really old uh, Con valve oil bottle that had the old CG Con script logo on it. Mm -hmm. And it was just uh, so elegant and historical and we started thinking of it in, in more terms of, of the Con brand name at that point, and we actually cut that valve oil bottle, cut the front of it off, and flattened it, mm -hmm. digitized it, blew it up on a, you know, on a huge uh, uh, screen with one of the graphic designers. Sure. And uh, so we started thinking of this of this vintage thing, and uh, it turned into something that was not just the vintage one trumpet, but there was an article actually in Music uh, Music Trades magazine about the vintage project at that mm -hmm. point. So, and the vintage project was was not just that one instrument, but a process. And then there was a, basically a, a team of people in the factory over there that, um, you know, would work on the vintage project mm -hmm. with us in all areas. But, um, so, uh, and we wanted to leave some room for growth and different things, so we, we called it Vintage One, mm -hmm. so that there could be a Vintage Two or sure. <laughs> whatever later down the road. <laughs> Um, obviously that's not the way it went, uh, as the merger happened and, mm -hmm. and, uh, so forth. But, uh, yeah, it was, I'm still, uh, we had some limitations we had to work around and, and you always do in a company that size. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm proud of the work that, you know, we did with that. We, I got to work with, uh, you know, guys like Nicholas Payton mm -hmm. and, um, you know, developed, uh, some pretty good instruments. I think uh, the Canadian brass guys ended up on the vintage one flugelhorns later, and that flugelhorn still... is a spectacular piece of work. Yeah, that, that's proven to be a challenge yeah. because I've I've worked on actually three different flugelhorns in the industry mm -hmm. that are still around for the most part, I believe, mm -hmm. 
And so the challenge when we were de designing our own Powell mm -hmm. trumpets, uh, flugelhorn, was to come up with something, you know, that's better, equal to or better than that. And uh, I think we finally have, but it took a while to, uh, you know, to Yeah, the Powell flugelhorn, I mean, your trumpets are spectacular, but, you know, to find a flugelhorn that plays as evenly across the registers as, as yours does, yeah. uh, you know, that's... That's remarkable right there. Yeah. We control each instrument as it goes out. We don't build them in um, in bulk. You know, we're not an assembly line. So we uh, we do our best that um, there are no bad instruments that go out of here. They might be different from one another, different designs, different bells, lead pipes, whatever. But uh, And somebody can play one of the horns and think, well, you know, this one's not for me. But hopefully they still think it's a great horn. And, um, uh, you know, I play mouthpieces like that. It's like, hey, man, that sounds great. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a little big for me or it doesn't do this or whatever. Sure. But you still realize the, the inherent goodness of that piece. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I want, I want that to be the same with our horns. I, want, uh, I don't ever want somebody to play one of our horns and put it down and just go, Ugh, you know. That's, <laughs> that's not. Um, so we, uh, we, we try not to ever let that happen. So I'm curious, uh, you know, in some of the corporate world, uh, there's a non-compete agreement. You leave one company, you go somewhere else. It has to be either a period of time elapsed before you can do the same kind of work. Mm -hmm. What's that like going from Lawler to Canstall to UMI to, to this? Have you had any limitations on what you've been able to do? Um, no, I would say. Um, you know, our industry is a little bit different from the norm so far as uh, intellectual property and so forth. Mm -hmm. I, I did work on a couple of things with UMI that ended up, um, you know, getting patents and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So obviously I, I stay away from anything like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, that's at my level working with the companies, you know, I wasn't I wasn't really in the corporate scheme of things. I wasn't that high up mm -hmm. so um and then when i when i left the industry to go out on my own i really didn't start with my brand name right away anyway um i went back to being a musician mm -hmm. and um and just having a repair shop and doing some custom work and some consulting mm -hmm. and um so i i really uh, i left on good terms i always have tried to do that um yeah, you certainly Whenever don't want to burn gone. bridges. In no, the industry's industry too industry's too small for that. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's uh, and and I have a lot of friends that are still there, and um, that's kind of one of my things. I mean, I, I don't I don't like a lot of contention. I'm not a that type of person. I yeah, like to, I've never figured you as that. Kind I, of, I like to keep friends. Back, I yeah. like to keep friends with everybody because I think in this industry, um, you know, there there's a lot of people doing a lot of great work, mm -hmm. and I think if you shut yourself off and cut yourself off mm -hmm. from some of those people, you're you could be missing something that could be a help to you. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I look at that from a playing, I'm talking about from a player standpoint, cause I still play professionally. Yeah. Um, you know, not, not all day, every day, obviously, but, um, from that standpoint, um, man, you can, you can learn at least one thing <laughs> from every person. That's something my grandma used to tell me. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> it's like, um, I, I don't want to miss those opportunities. And, you know, when you're at these shows and trade shows and all that, I, I just like, I like being friends with all the people in the industry and, yeah. and um, you know, just and why seeing not? what everybody's doing. Absolutely. Right? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk about playing. Uh, obviously, you're a terrific musician, um, but give me a little background on where you went to school. Uh, well, uh, how far back? 
I don't know. Was it a one-room schoolhouse? I mean, are we going that far back? Or, uh... Well, it was a cold day. Yeah. Um, well, actually, my uh, and I don't. At this point, um, you know, my dad probably won't mind me uh, saying some of this, but um, he had a trumpet in the closet, and I think that's where he had been asked to keep it. <laughs> uh, I think he'd played a little bit in college, but it uh, did not go did not go so well. So um, I think uh, second, third grade, I had I had pulled the horn out, and you know I, I could make a I could make a good sound on the horn without anybody really showing me how to do it uh, already. So I started taking private lessons. I grew up in North Carolina, so um, kind of in a, a smaller rural community. So mm-hmm. um, we, uh, my mom and dad, found a, a teacher down in a town called Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Uh, that was just kind of a general music teacher, and I started hey, that's taking where Andy lessons. Griffiths was from, right? Uh, I think he was from Mount Airy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. but same state. And, yeah, okay. uh, yeah, great, great time. But I uh, started taking private lessons, and um, then um, you know, I can't. I think most the most interesting, one of the most interesting things about my playing life at an early stage was um, kind of more of divine providence. Um, I lived in a, a town of about uh, 15,000 people, something like that. Mm-hmm. And the county seat was Halifax, North Carolina, which was even smaller than the town I was in. And there was a newspaper article one day that this professional trumpet player from New York City had retired and moved to Halifax, North Carolina. And um, so my, my mom and dad saw this and decided we would go talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot to that story too, but um, long story short, um, he was he was professional trumpet player from New York, and it was just really interesting that he moved to that particular place because he was a New Yorker, I mean <laughs> a real one, and uh, so he stood out. He was well. He also, when he was a young boy, he had had polio, and uh, so we're talking 1970s here. Okay, mm-hmm. so. He, when he was a boy, he had had polio, so he had uh, arm braces, um, and uh, he was only about my size even then. You know, I was a pretty good-sized kid anyway, but um, he was a little bit, you know, I was used to everybody being very Southern and very, you know, hospitality. And he was he was nice, but he was very New York and, and a little bit gruffer than I had been accustomed to. And um, so when we went, he said, he didn't really plan to teach, but he would hear me play and decide if he would teach me. So we went, and one of the things that stuck out about that day was uh, I think he really was surprised, you know, by my sound and and how. Uh, how old were you at this point? I was in fifth, I believe, fifth grade. Eleven, ten. Ten, eleven, yeah, yeah, yeah ten, eleven, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went in, and I and I remember the first thing he he said was I was holding the horn wrong. And I was, I had my, my forefinger over and just all kinds of craziness, but, but I could play. So he, uh, he agreed to teach me and long story short there, I was his only student for um, almost four, almost four years. And, um, and, how, and I just, me, how was he as a teacher? Uh, hard and difficult for me because not only from the trumpet standpoint but from a personal standpoint he was mm-hmm. just very cut and dry black and white uh, it was either wrong no right, it right. was either wrong or right yeah. and uh, 
it was and it was hard but it was it was the turning point one of the turning points in my playing life because it got me out of just this you know um, kind of mediocrity and letting me do my own thing and you know had a little bit of talent but he he actually it was a real deal so what was he pushing you well i you know one of the days uh, just everything i mean it was arvin's book hardcore arvin's book and you know sections and he had things written i've still got the book with his handwriting in it and um but articulation, uh, you know, musical and phrasing. And I guess one of the days that stands out to me was we were playing a duet out of the Arbin's book. Mm-hmm. And I was playing the second part. And obviously I was playing it way too loud. And he just came unglued and uh, just read me the riot act about, you know, what had to happen. And here I am, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a kid, you know. But he was right. And, but I've never forgotten that. Uh, and I think in probably any time I play duets with people today or we, we sit down to do any of that, that day comes back, man. And it, and it's, it shaped my musical life my entire life because I can still, still hear, hear him yelling at me. Mm-hmm. And I don't, mean, I don't mean a harsh tone. I mean yelling, like, you know, old school. <laughs> it's like, you don't do, you know. So I, I remember that day. And, is his uh, name relevant? I mean, is there a reason? His name was also Fred. Uh, his name was Fred Woodman, and uh, he had, uh, you know, he didn't have an easy life because he had this the, with the polio thing. Every gig he went to, he's in arm braces, and and it was a hardship for him to do everything. So nothing had come easy to him, and and so when it was that, he didn't have a lot of empathy or sympathy because mm-hmm. he had been through it. Yeah. So um, it was just here's the right way, and that's the that's it, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, good player. Yeah, good very teacher. good. Real, real, yeah, yeah, really good, and especially good for me. But you know, he couldn't do certain other things physically that everybody else did. So he had taught himself to do many other things. He taught himself oil painting. He taught himself how to play a flute. He's a very good flute player. Mm-hmm. And um, anything he did, he just decided to do on his own. He, he was self. He was just self-made, and mm-hmm. he didn't rely on anybody else. Uh, he didn't ask anybody else for anything. Mm-hmm. He just, if he wanted to do it, he did it. And he, and the expectations that he had of himself were pretty much the expectations he had of other people around him. Mm-hmm. And so uh, um, I've, I've never wanted to necessarily be, not that it was a bad thing or that gruff, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little softer than that, I guess. But... Um, you know, we stayed friends uh, until he passed away, uh, and I was. Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I would always, when I always, when I went home, I always went back to Halifax to see him and his mm-hmm. wife, and and um, uh, just always would sit in his garage and talk. And uh, I I had a chance to tell him some of this stuff and thank him mm-hmm. for what he did. In so anyway, uh, I guess the next part of the pathway is when we moved to um, Virginia, Richmond, Petersburg area, and I had an opportunity to study with two uh, very influential players there, um, one of which was the principal of Richmond Symphony, uh, Rollo Durham, who just retired, uh, I think, within the last couple of years. Um, and then um, also um, another teacher named Mac Wells, Malcolm Wells, who's um, still friends with as well. And um, kind of two different styles, orchestral player. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Rolla Durham was a contemporary of Phil Smith at Juilliard, mm-hmm. uh, but just found a home in Richmond Symphony and was um, you know, just an unbelievable player. Mm-hmm. And my first lesson with him was also memorable as well because I went in 
kind of a big fish, small pond, mm -hmm. thinking, you know, that's a pretty hot shot little thing, whatever. <laughs> and he threw up the cool and the Charles Colin uh, flexibility book and said, okay, That'll you know, humble, uh, light this people, up. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I fumbled all over the thing and just made a complete, you know, idiot of myself. And uh, I walked out of that room knowing that he had just handed it to me. <laughs> I was like, okay, I know how this is going to go. Uh, but there again, you know, hugely influential, all these guys um, in different ways. And, uh, of course, I, I tend to be very competitive, even though I'm uh, a little little softer than that. I tend to be very competitive and um, and a little bit of perfectionist tendencies, too. So when I'm offered a challenge, uh, you know, one of the things I, I love to be told what I can't do. And uh, so when he... When he Are you uh, the youngest in your family? I'm the only well, okay, so yeah, okay, yeah, yep. Um, Sorry, I'm just a little bit of birth order stuff. No, you know, and I think we ought to probably we probably ought to have just started off this whole conversation with a disclaimer no, I that we're not that wonder. we're not related, whether <laughs> we're related. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but anyway, so when I was offered that challenge with that flexibility stuff, um, <laughs> I knew what I had to do. And so now that's one of my one of my things. Of course, I'm not at Scott Belk level. That's a whole different. No, know, I'm interviewing I him I, next week. <laughs> well, it's gonna be fun. My word, that's just crazy, man. Yeah. But uh, so I'm not to that level yet. But that became flexibility became one of my one of my things, uh -huh. you know, um, among other things. But but I remember walking out of that lesson just just totally humbled and just thinking, okay, I came in here with this type of thought process, and I'm leaving with, oh man. So but, that was yeah. the first lesson, but you continued. Oh, absolutely, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. I studied with, uh, I studied with him for three years uh, before I went to college, mm -hmm. and uh, just amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy was a great player, great teacher, um, and he really had some access and a lot of interest in other methods, uh, like uh, Roth Quinque, I think is how you pronounce it, his mm -hmm. method, and just brought a lot of different things to the table uh, that. I hadn't seen before, and I honestly haven't seen a whole lot of it since. Mm -hmm. But he just he sought out um, different methods, and he would sometimes cherry pick out of that. He wouldn't use the whole thing, but he would mm -hmm. say, "Oh, this for this," you know. You got it. And um, so I really, I w my eyes were open to a lot of different literature, a lot of different methods, a lot of different um, you know thought processes. He was a, a very forward thinker, and he was always trying uh, new stuff and wanted to experiment. Uh, but at the same time, then go hear him in the uh, in the symphony. It was just a uh, you know great player, unbelievable sound. Mac Wells was uh, actually uh, my other teacher there, uh, and I studied. I actually overlapped and studied with both of them at different times, but different styles. He was more of a um, a commercial player, and um, opened my eyes to a lot a lot of listening and other m musical stuff. Like um, you know, my first exposure to uh, Maynard Ferguson was, and Chuck Mazzion, and I'm not talking about the the feels good stuff. I'm talking about his you know quintet stuff. Oh, the jazz stuff. Yeah, and right. I and I've still got um, a lot of that stuff um, on reel to reel tape that my that Mac <laughs> Wells put on reel to reel wow. for me, and just hugely influential um, in opening my eyes that way. So um, he was um, he was actually a. a, a public school music teacher and taught, you know, hey, lessons in the afternoon. No, uh, my teacher, Mac Wells oh, okay. right, in right, Richmond. Right. 
And so, uh, but uh, again, we're friends and still keep in touch. And um, the quintet that uh, I tour with some, <clears throat> we were just in uh, Virginia a little while back and he was at the concert taking pictures and hanging out with my mom and dad. And, you know, that, that legacy is, uh, is still there. But so all these guys had different influences uh, in different ways, you know, just kind of opening my eyes to all different kinds of things. Did those teachers play a lot? Did they model a lot for you? Yes. Or? Yeah. And yeah, and absolutely. And we played together a lot, mm -hmm. both of them. I think all of my teachers did, um, as far as I knew, my, from Fred Woodeman to Mac Wells to Roller Durham, we all played together mm -hmm. and uh, talked about blend and style and mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah, absolutely did a lot of modeling and, and playing together. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. So, uh, what happened after that? Did you go to uh, went to, uh, I did my undergrad work at Bob Jones University in South Carolina. I did a trumpet performance degree there. Um, started... Started out in music education. I actually started out in performance, switched to music education, switched back to performance. Mm -hmm. And uh, my teacher there was uh, Argel Paddock, and um, he's um, passed away since then. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was my the trumpet teacher that was there when my dad was there and maybe was the one that suggested that he put it back in the closet. But I don't know the exact story, but I, uh, but my, my parents had been friends with them before cause my parents went there to school. Okay. So, um, um, I did my undergrad there. Um, and then I went to, um, Florida state for grad school, studied with oh. Brian Goff and, uh, again, a huge, uh, influence, um, especially from, interpretation, soloistic playing, uh, pacing. I think I had a, a little bit of an issue with pacing and getting through. It's like endurance. Right? Long program, yeah. right. right, long, and just playing smart. Mm -hmm. uh, playing smart and musical and, and uh, you know, just really heady stuff and just so musical. Um, and uh, now, yeah, I really appreciate my the real jazz-oriented program, right? I think, I, well, we did do some of that there, but you know Chris Moore is there now, and, and you know Chris is a great heavy hitter in the in the legit stuff as well. So they've pretty got to have a pretty well rounded. Program. Did you get into jazz at all? Or? A little bit. I played in the I played in the ensemble jazz ensemble at Florida State, and um, and I had a lot of interest in that stuff from early on. Uh, you know, some of my early influences, um, you know, I used to. Uh, Things were different back then. We couldn't speak to Alexa or Google or whatever it is and just say, play me a tune. <laughs> right. I had to go to the library and check out an LP. A what? A where? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're made of vinyl, people. Um, well, you know, vinyl's making a big comeback now, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I had to go to the library and um, uh, check out records, yeah. you know. And... Um, I listened to, and of course my mom and dad started, uh, especially my dad, my dad traveled a little bit, so he would always bring me recordings and, and started building my library even back then. My first two recordings, I still remember my dad bringing me two LPs. One was the famous Maurice Andre mm -hmm. concertos. And uh, you know, of course I'm listening to that and just getting completely blown away. And then the other uh, record 
was of the Locke Brass Consort, L-O-C-K-E, Brass Consort. A lot of overlap with the guys in the Philip Jones Brass Ensemble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a little bit more modern. Uh, I think it, uh, I can't remember the exact pieces on it, but um, I think one of them was Dialogues, um, uh, maybe Boza, I think. And um, James Watson was a soloist. Mm-hmm. Never heard anything like that in my life. I was just, it's like, how can you tongue like that, you know? <laughs> I just And of course it was a little bit more modern. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and so I, I kind of just musical flavors. But then um, early influence too, I think um, one of the records that was at the, the library were some Al Hurt records and some of the early Dixieland stuff. And I just, you know, that to me, that was happy music, man. Well, Al <laughs> Hurt was the first trumpet player I had ever oh, heard. Man. You know, and I was reading yeah. the back of the album jacket and uh yeah the album jacket right yeah exactly, <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, yeah you know and reading it was with uh, arthur fiedler in the boston Pops. Uh, yeah yeah you that know, was that was, wasn't my first i listened to that later. java and you know some of the other yeah uh, he gets a little hits. criticism on that record for the carnival of venice yeah, but rendition you know what? but he, still his sound yeah you know it was it was electrifying yeah and, and well man that guy was he was amazing uh physically and technically and everything else he was just and i I've kind of gotten a little deeper into it. I have rows of, you know, LPs of him and other things now, too. Um, and there's probably some recordings of him that a lot of people have never heard. And they would just, if they heard him, they would just be absolutely astonished at what, you know. Um, and there's, if anybody is, wants to find them, then dig them up. There's a five LP set of him playing with his group you know that he that he gigged with mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. and it is so tight and but there's a couple of solo breaks on there that to this day I just don't even I don't even try mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. no that that won't ever happen again mm-hmm. that's just amazing you know it's funny you say uh, he took some flack for his performance of Carnival yeah. Carnival of Venice yeah. but here's the thing he did it yeah. And who are the people that criticize usually? Right? <laughs> people, people that haven't done that it. Don't. Or haven't, right? <laughs> that's right. Well, so that's you think, yeah. Wait a second. You know, it's like people criticize uh, Winton when he did the Carnival album. You know, they could say some things about or when he did whatever, or yeah. any artist doing whatever. It's like, you know what? Until you uh, put yourself out there. That's an interesting. That, you that brings be a little more gracious. Yeah, right? Absolutely. And that brings up a topic for me because I'm, I, I've. <sighs> I play in Chicago uh, quite a bit, and there was a group one night that I had had a rehearsal with, and they wanted to, uh, you know, go out and grab a bite after. So we were talking, and I won't mention a whole bunch of names, but they were being uh, somewhat critical of you some. Can whisper them to them. No, no, no. no. <laughs> they were being pretty critical of some yeah. uh, some players. Uh, let's just call them legendary players around Chicago, and a couple of recordings, maybe on a bad night or something mm-hmm. like that, and. And they were asking my opinion of it. And uh, obviously they, they had noticed I wasn't engaging in that conversation um, because I didn't feel like I had to write, uh, like because of what you just said. And uh, so they asked me a, a, a very specific question. And, I, and I, at that point I had no choice but to give them a very definite answer. I said, look, um, I've, I'm older than all of you guys and I've accomplished you know a few things. And at my level, I have no right whatsoever and no credibility to criticize those particular people. I have not earned that right. Mm-hmm. And if I haven't, you certainly haven't. And 
they were they're on these radio broadcasts they're on these lps they've been doing it for years and doing it great and you're going to sit there and talk about one bad night mm -hmm. sorry mm -hmm. not participating in that mm -hmm. because Did who, who of us yeah pretty much well, we had some more discussion it was cool mm -hmm. but who among us the trumpet players is going to say we've never had that bad night or we've never had mm -hmm. that bad experience mm -hmm. if you haven't then i don't know something's not right yeah. maybe there's something maybe there's some people that haven't but and I can remember mine quite well. Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah, and, I think that that clarity comes with age too. And yeah. you know, it, I remember being very critical, you know, because it was you know that mob mentality. Right. Well, you know, let's all. But you know, the older I've gotten, I'm thinking well, I just appreciate anybody putting themselves out there. You know, uh, Sergey certainly takes risks uh, yeah. beyond what a lot of people would would do. Yep. And. Uh, People criticize him for, for leaving the trumpet repertoire and starting to play string stuff. But I think, but good music is good music. Well, you Maurice know? Andre was doing, you know, oboe concertos and right. violin concertos. Right. Uh, you know, um, I, well, I mean, Malcolm has recorded, you know, oh, right. all that yeah. stuff. Let's see somebody else try to do that. <laughs> yeah, and then look at Doc Schuchar. Oh, right. Huge influence in my playing mm -hmm. um, because one of my teachers gave me that LP, The Incredible Virtuosity of Tim Free Dog, and I'm listening, oh my word. You know, he's playing that Chrysler stuff, and uh, oh, it's just incredible playing. Okay, so I've you know? played that for some of my students, and they're like, yeah, but the vibrato. And I'm like, oh, God. Like, can, we, can we just get past that? You know, I mean, oh, there's, it's there's Russian. A, well, in, in period, you know, I yeah, mean, whatever. Sure decades we're talking about but let's get past that and let's just talk about how phenomenal the playing is right so musical and so passionate you could hear it i mean i i have friends uh especially uh, joyce davis was you know very close with him and knew him well and i've and i've talked to her a little bit about him, but i i met him once but obviously didn't get to know him but so I, I don't really know where some of that was coming from but it seemed to me that in his music um you could just hear this this internal thing that he had going mm -hmm. and that's something that spoke to me is like he's not just playing notes on a page man that's that's raw emotion uh it's, there's something more there mm -hmm. that we that want to communicate through music you gotta you gotta pull from that you know it's not just notes on a page there's there's got to be more more behind it and you know it's it's funny because i well not funny haha but it's that it's turned into my my life because I play, I do this. And I, I mean, I had some other interests, but um, you know, as time went on, you know, there's only time enough time in the day for mm -hmm. so much thing mm -hmm. to do, and uh, um, trying to you know bridge the gap between playing and mm -hmm. and doing the business and all the other things. You know, it's kind of so, narrowed it down. Well, okay, well, you mentioned your quintet. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of repertoire do you guys play? Uh, that group is called the Artisans in Brass, and I actually replaced uh, Robert Nagel in that group about 14 years ago. No kidding. Yeah, and he that was one of the groups he, he uh, kind of retired out of. Uh, he was semi-retired, and um, the other trumpet player, um, George Doherty, had known him before and contacted him. And it's um, this quintet, this particular quintet, is um, it's, it's all faith-based you know, it's, uh, all Christian guys. And um, so our first album was actually all sacred mm -hmm. and um, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, 
we also realized that we needed to, you know, branch out and do be able to do some other concertizing and stuff like that to make the financial part of it work and that type of thing. So the next album was more of a kind of a debut album with uh, a bunch of different styles, Americana, mm-hmm. you know, some different things. Um, mainly, uh, the group is mainly performing uh, arrangements of our own internal. Mm-hmm. That that changed a little bit on this uh on the latest album, we have some outside things on there. But um, we're together um, maybe three or four times a year, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, three of the guys are college profs, so uh, we can't just travel extensively right. or do anything like that. Right. And of course I have my business and, and uh, that type of thing. So we can't be on the road all the time. Um, but um, if, I, if I could stop this and do one thing and be with one group of people, that would be it. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, they're, my, they're all so my brothers and great friends. Um, we live all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, let's see, of course I'm here in Indiana, and then um, Wisconsin, Kansas, Texas, and Iowa are all the guys. Wow, so. you guys are just uh, next door neighbors, right? <laughs> oh <my gosh>. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, it, it's been going a while now, so you know we have a kind of a a normal schedule that we adhere to when we go out. It's typically a Wednesday through a Sunday or Monday. Mm-hmm. And so we arrive, you know, we do some rehearsal for the first couple of days, brush up on mm-hmm. old stuff, read anything new, that type of thing, put everything together, and then and then play towards the end of the week from like uh, either Friday to Sunday, Thursday to Sunday, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so it's, uh, you know, we're not starting from scratch every time we get together okay. and everybody's, uh, you know, diligent about coming prepared you know when we sit down the first time it sounds pretty good first good. time and then it hopefully just gets better from there yeah but, and so, it's a good uh, hang right i mean it's people you like it, being around it, they're yeah absolutely they're they're my brothers and uh it's one of my favorite times it's they're a, all smart guys they're all smarter than me too <laughs> and so when i'm with them I, I feel like i come away from the we call them mini tours i feel like i come away from that time a little bit smarter mm-hmm. each time from nice. hanging out with them nice. we have some uh Iron sharpening iron type of discussions. That's, that's cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, they're great. Um, well, okay, so let's kind of get back to the manufacturing side okay. of things. Um, how long has Powell Trumpets been around? Um, this is, I resigned out of the corporate music industry uh, February 28th of 2005. And the date um, that we're living in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do happen to remember it. Yeah. But, uh, so uh, actually, we kind of had a, a joke, family joke, because um, my son's birthday was March first, and which is was the next day, and uh, it's like, hey, for your birthday, I quit my job, so, uh, <laughs> went to zero income, started my own thing. So um, um, the first couple of years was Trumpet Tech. Um, there wasn't Powell Trumpets; it was Trumpet Tech because Trumpet Tech was somewhat of an umbrella under which we could do lots of different things. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a lot of consulting for various companies in manufacturing and design. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then we also did repair work, custom work, restoration, you know. And then I was teaching some. I taught at IUSB, um, Bethel College, adjunct faculties and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so that umbrella allowed us to do lots of different things. Um, took that over to Chicago with Carl Hammond and uh, still have a, a really close association with Carl Hammond, Hammond Design. Boy, and he's doing great work. Oh, man, he's unbelievable, yeah. And um, You yeah. know what, if you had drum corps pick up 
your product the way they've picked up his product. <laughs> yeah. You'd, you'd never rest. Yeah. Well, Carl works. He, he's doing so much work for so uh, such a variety of, of different players from Chicago Symphony to Boston Symphony to, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. And not just trumpet, you know, trombone, tuba, and all kinds of stuff. But um, yeah, we were over there for about uh, two and a half years. Uh, dis various factors brought me back over to the Indiana side. Mm -hmm. um, and then at that point, we turned it into Powell Trumpets. And that was 2010. 2010, we went from Trumpet Tech and Powell Trumpets, and we changed the engraving. That's when we started engraving the Horns Powell Trumpets mm -hmm. instead. One of the reasons for that is I didn't want to put my name on it until it was, our, until it was fully our product. Mm -hmm. Before that point, we had been using other valve sections, like you know, taking a box section or taking something else and building a custom trumpet around that. But as we got more to where it was 100% uh, our manufacturing and our, our product, then that's when I was comfortable mm -hmm. switching. But uh, I really didn't want to put um, you know, Powell trumpets on it until it was really mm -hmm. a Powell trumpet. So now the, these days, it's your design, or designs, rather. Yep. Uh, B flat C's flugelhorns. Are you are you trying to branch out into some of the yep. smaller horns? Yeah, we've got yeah we've got some stuff in in design and prototyping. Um, it's it's always a interesting um, another tightrope to walk between uh, you know filling orders and trying to get things out the door with development, and um, so we're trying to we're working on that now. But we've gotten uh, we've gotten busier and 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 I don't want people. I don't mind having a little bit of a waiting list, which we do. I think we're at about 16, 16 18 weeks right now. Mm -hmm. But I think to have people waiting a year is not where I want to be. Mm -hmm. And so we've actually um, come out with some standard models that we can have at shows and, and that people could come fall in love with this horn and, and take that one home. Mm -hmm. And that was something that we were not able to do before. Mm -hmm. It was strictly custom. So the problem would be somebody would come to a show, fall in love with this horn, and I'd say, well... We can build you one just like it. Yeah, but this one's going out too. But we, yeah, this right. one's in production. Um, but the other problem with that it would be maybe a kid came to a show and they either needed a new horn right away, mm -hmm. uh, something had happened to somebody's horn. I've got one in the back that got run over by a car, so they mm -hmm. needed a horn and that type of thing. And we were missing that part of the, that market segment. So that's still not our biggest market segment, but we, we are offering that. I think we have four. Uh, four standard models now, and um, we may add a we may add one more to that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we're working on uh, E flat piccolo things that are coming down the road. But nice. I got to have time to, you know, again trying to trying to walk that <laughs> trying to walk that line between production and development and mm -hmm. all that type of thing as we get busier. Have you thought about uh, mm -hmm. going to the rotary valve uh, for anything? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've thought about it. it. It's it's not, it's not on the front burner right now, mm -hmm. but that might be something down the road when the, mm -hmm. when the time comes. I've worked on a, a, a couple of those things, you know, for some other companies and stuff. But I feel like I have a, a few things to learn in that, yeah. um, in that area before I want to go into it further. Yeah. I don't want to be just uh, spinning my wheels or making something mediocre. Right. You know, if if we're gonna make it out of here we want it to be the best yeah. so um i would have to sharpen my skills a little bit and uh, figure out a few acoustic things i would like to do and so forth um, but we've got a few things that are coming uh in advance of that so i'm curious about the custom side of things you know somebody comes to you let's say i came 
to you and mm -hmm. said, hey, I, wanna, I want you to build me a horn. Mm -hmm. um, where do you start? Do, do you have me play what I'm currently playing and start it, to tweak it from there? It can start different ways. Obviously, I have people come and visit the shop to start that process. And there's other times that we start that process on the phone or with some type of conversation. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's a huge help if um, somebody has been maybe at a show, played one of our horns, and at least has a basis of something they found they like. Mm -hmm. And we write those combinations down so that they call, hey, I played the number 320 bell at the show. And so we have a, a place to, to start. Other people, sometimes, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our, um, we don't do a lot of heavy advertising, so a lot of our business is word of mouth and recommendations and so forth. So that person has played this other person's horn. Mm -hmm. Okay, I like this horn, but I'd like a little bit of this difference and all that. So that can be a place to start. Um, I think that um, when people come to the shop, I have two columns that I typically put people in. And um, it's, not a, it's not a bad or good thing or whatever. It's just the, the way that we try to figure out how we can help this person get what they want. And that's one column is this person needs some help. It's like going to the doctor. I mean, I'm a good player, but I'm having this problem. I'd like to fix this. I'd like to be better at this. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm very big on the fact that equipment isn't going to solve every problem. But if you have a piece of equipment that is placing limitations, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then your practice time and your preparation is not going to yield right. what it should yield for the time that you're putting in. So in that case, what we try to do is give a person the piece of equipment that's going to remove those limitations and, and make them have the capability of being a better player. Mm -hmm. They might not walk out of here a better player the next day, mm -hmm. but in two or three months after they've had our horn, I hope that you know they're experiencing that where they're putting in the time and, and the piece of equipment is allowing them to get better. I use a lot of car analogies because I'm a car guy and I used to do some racing and stuff like that. So one of the things that I start out one of my discussions is does equipment matter? And if you put a piece of uh, a picture of this car and this top fuel dragster beside each other, obviously those are two very different pieces of equipment from an assembly line car to something like that, high performance. So yes, absolutely. But if you don't know how to drive that high performance car, it could pretty well mess you up. Mm -hmm. So, but if you get into that and you learn how to drive that, then you're going to be a better driver. And I, I look at it the same way with the horns is that we're going to, those people that want to do that, mm -hmm. they can come in here and I can show them different things we can do to remove those. And then they say, then they get excited about it and they say, okay, now I'm going to go practice because if I do, that's going to get fixed. Mm -hmm. The other column is, uh, you mentioned Mark Reidenauer earlier and, you know, uh, Paul Randall from North Carolina Symphony is coming in here tomorrow. Um, and, you know, Carl Severs when he comes in with mm -hmm. Oklahoma guys, different things. Uh, these are guys that don't really need my help in that way. These are guys that just need me to do the work for them, and they tell me what they want, right. and I say, yes, sir. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's a little different. Uh, I have to, I think the first place that I start when somebody comes in wanting to do a custom project like that is we, we decide who we're dealing with, mm -hmm. and, and I let them decide that, not me. Mm -hmm. But obviously when some of those other guys are walking in here, I'm like, I know, I know my place, you know. Right. 
And um, so we might experiment. I might make a suggestion, but I'm not going to sit there and, and tell them, no, we're not going to do that. You know, I just don't do that. <laughs> and uh, I've been, I've had some experiences in my younger days, probably, um, where I would go into, I don't know, maybe with a mouthpiece guy or a trumpet guy or something like that and, and tell somebody what I wanted. And the first thing out of their mouth was, no, nah, that's not what you want. Here's what you need. I was like, well, yeah, I can. that's kind of kind of is what I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, going back to Carl Hammond, that's one thing I love about Carl because I saw people come in time after time after time and say, this is what I want. And Carl would say, okay, let's get to work. Well, and I've and been to his shop a it, couple times. Amazing, and you know yeah. what? And, and he is so willing yeah. to, you know, spin that blank. Yeah. And, and that's a cool thing, too, is to be able to watch that process. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Having your mouthpiece. Oh, there's first. nothing like watching a piece of metal get yeah. turned down into <laughs> something beautiful. There's nothing. I just showed you those valve casings. Yeah. And, I mean, isn't that beautiful? I mean, no, it's spectacular. It's yeah. amazing. And then and then to think what it's going to become, you know. And, <laughs> but then to see what that is, just that raw part, to me, is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And just, I could sit. It's For me, it's like watching airplanes land, which I could mm-hmm. sit and watch for days. Uh, I could sit and watch one of those, you know, big lathe turning those, mm-hmm. turning those pieces and throwing those metal shavings off. That's just a thing of beauty to me. Okay, so here I am sitting with you almost an hour now, and it's been great stuff. But when you started talking about this, you you really kind of lit up. So I wish people could see just kind of how. <laughs> I mean, you you get a real sense of joy. They're not a sense. You get a lot of joy out of putting this stuff together. Don't well, you? you know, the thing is, man. We put in a lot of hours, and 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 I paid a lot of dues. Like I said, we've been, it's been mm-hmm. thirty years, and I mean there are stories that most people will never know. Uh, I mean I could maybe tell you a couple, but uh, I don't know. Two weeks ago we put in seventy-one hours, mm-hmm. and so when you're putting in that kind of time, man, you want to see a payoff, yeah. and that's the exciting part is when you're in the drudgery of it, you know, and you're in the heat of battle. You that's not always the joyous part, right? So when you start to see those things and you know the exciting part about when we i guess when you start talking about the valve casing is that it's something it's the same valve casing we've been doing but right now we're doing some reprogramming that are making improvements Mm and and um, alignment improvements and just we're always looking to make things as good as they can be Mm -hmm. and and i i was really excited about this part because we made a couple of slight changes on it they were just very small changes but all of a sudden, you know, something was perfect that had been, it had been really, 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 really good before, but now it's like, oh my word, that's like perfect, you know, that's pretty exciting. But, you know, when you, when you paid those dues, and I feel like, um, you know, I don't want to become the old curmudgeon guy that, you know, know, uphill both ways in the snow and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but especially when you own your own business, and you, if you ask any of these guys, you know, I've known Terry Warburton for, oh, over 30 years, mm-hmm. 30, 33, 34 years. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it many times. You know, people don't know. You know, you're up, you're up doing this. You know, you're up early and up late. Mm-hmm. And then for me, I still got to practice. Right. <laughs> That's hard sometimes when I've been yeah. working that kind of those kind of hours. And then, uh, but I always have a carrot dangling in front of me of something that I have to do. I have to prepare for. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, got to practice. You know, That's even great. if it's. You know, even if it's 20 minutes at 1 o'clock in the morning, it's it you know gets the blood flowing. It's something. All right, kids, so. you're listening to this podcast. You just heard that. Even if it's 1 in the morning and you're going to get 20 minutes in. I did it last night. Yeah. I got home from Chicago at about 1.40, and I played. So this is where we had just a bit of a hiccup 
in the recording process. I apologize about that. So I faded out the previous conversation, and we're going to fade right back in. Here we go. So, you know, this has been kind of cool. Uh, um, and to let people know, too, there was about a 10-minute period during this interview where we were completely in the dark. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, you've got people in and out of the shop yeah. today working on working on stuff. Yeah, putting in putting in a new yeah. breaker and a couple of things like that. And we have a lot of machines around, so everything has to run. So, um, yeah, let's get to the whole Powell thing. Uh, as far as I know, um, I mean, I grew up in Kentucky. There's there's word that uh, my family came from Indiana, but you're a you're an East Coast guy. Yeah, I'm a Southern boy by birth. Yeah, I was born born and raised in North Carolina. Graduated high school in Virginia. Yeah, yeah, it was East Coast. Yeah. Okay. So we're not related. Well, but, unless you uh, go way, 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 way well, back. Well, sure. But you know, <laughs> we, we share a great last name. And, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, that also means I get a share of the Powell trumpets, right? Uh, <laughs> well, we can talk. <laughs> so, you know, it's actually a great time to wrap things up, Fred. Man, it's been a pleasure to hear what you got, uh, absolutely. got to say, and uh, look forward to seeing you. I'm going to be down at IPG. I'll swing by the booth and uh, and uh, check out. Sounds some good, man. So, Appreciate you coming up. Yeah. Thanks for sharing everything today. You got it. Thanks, man. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcast from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you, too, can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studio hfl and one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes merchandise and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link thanks again for listening and i hope you come back for more great interviews